Good morning, KMCC. This is just a reminder that we serve a powerful God. And I want to invite you to call on Him this morning. Can I have you stand with me?
Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness, for your love, and for your mercy, Lord. May we declare it out with shouts of praise. Walking down.
and we read about how uh, the man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock let's sing about that rock this morning church Christ is my firm foundation help me out church the rock on which I stand everything around me is shaken I've never been more blind I put my faith in Jesus Amen he's never let me down He's faithful through generations So I would 
church right now.
Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado, in case we haven't met before. Maybe you're new to us, whether you're in the building, online, on the patio. We just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are with us. I'll be doing this thing I do every week almost. I'll be on the patio afterwards. If I look lonely, it's because I am. So come say hi. I love pushing. I love, I love putting names with faces. And so please feel free to come and say hello to me and, and uh, get to know you, get to know me type of thing. That'd be awesome. Love to do that. Well, the year is... 20, uh, 2002, 2002, and ESPN has been fortunate to reacquire the rights to televising the World Series of Poker. They've had the rights in the past. They had it in the 1980s, but this time would be a little different. They have found a way to place a video camera underneath the rim of the table so that the whole cards could be seen by all the viewers in real time while poker was happening. And so now viewers could see when somebody's bluffing or, or, or the move they're trying to make, and, and it would be something that would revolutionize um, watching poker for sure. Bluffs and strategies were now being watched in progress in live time. And a new appreciation for Texas Hold'em poker kind of took the world by storm in 2002. Soon everybody was playing Texas Hold'em. Uh, there were house games, there were work games, there were uh, golf buddy games, there was the, the, the lawyer's game, the doctor's game, there was even the deacon's game. And, uh, you know, on Friday nights, everybody was, 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 you know, was having their own poker game. And people were building their own tables and buying their own chips. And it was certainly Friday night because on Saturday, we got to make sure we go to bed early so we be ready for church, right? And so, yes. <laughs> and so everybody was doing these games. And, and from that whole experience came this phrase, I'm all in. Now, for those of you guys who are novices, I'll, I'll explain this to you. It's, it's when you're saying at the height of the climax of a poker game that I'm willing to put everything that I have on this table on that hand. It's the epitome of being the most vulnerable you could be in a poker game. I'm so sure that my hand is better than your hand that I'm willing to put all the chips to the center. I'm all in. And if I lose this hand, I'm done. I go home. Game over. It is the height and climax of the game. It is the place where you say, I've got nothing left. I'm going all in on this hand. I believe my hand is better than yours. I'm completely vulnerable at this point. If I lose, I'll go home. If I win, I double up. And so we got the phrase, I'm all in. We got this phrase, becoming, going all in from poker. Uh, and I bring this up to you because, uh, you know, you've heard the, the phrase before, like, I'm leaving it all on the field. Here, it's I'm leaving it all on the table. And I mention this today because we're going to be talking about in this series, exploring the idea of what it looks like to go all in in our faith, to completely and vulnerably say, you know what, I'm all in on this. I'm pushing all the chips to the center. Uh, everything is there. It's, it's all there. I'm all in as it relates to my faith. But we'll ask some questions today, like what blinds us to such an idea? And what are the results of this blinding? How do we convince ourselves out of going all in, spiritually speaking? And what does that mean for our fruitfulness when we do that? How sophisticated can we get in this blinding rationale that I don't need to go all in? And who does it affect in the end anyway? 
You know, today we're going to start a little differently because I've got to show you this passage of this person who goes all in. And, and, and I'm just going to take you straight there. In fact, it'll be on the screen. It's out of Mark chapter 14. I got to show you this person who dives in like headfirst all in for God. Comes out of Mark 14 and starts at verse 3. It says this. And while he was at Bethany, referring to Jesus, in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some there that said to themselves indignantly, why is this ointment wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And she has done what she could. She has anointed my body before my burial. And sure enough, the next section in Scripture is Judas betraying Jesus. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Here's a person that goes all in, like takes everything she has and says, I want to show you my love and devotion for you, Jesus. Like the symbolic nature of Mary's devotion is to pour expensive perfume over his head and anoint him. You know, it's so interesting to me. When you have somebody who loves the Lord, you can't stop them from lavishing him with praise and adoration. When you have somebody who loves something, you cannot stop them from lavishing their praise and adoration for whatever that thing is. Uh, You guys probably don't know this, but in about 10 days or 11 days time, my wife and I will complete 20 years of marriage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I always say no applause, no applause, just gift cards, just gift cards. Um, and, and 20 years of marriage, and, and the question that always comes after you share something like that is, what are you guys going to do, right? Yeah, 20 years is a marked occasion, so what are you going to do? I'll tell you, thank you for asking. What we're going to do is we're going to go to Lowry's Prime Rib. It's like, a, it's like a bucket list item for me. Uh, uh, Lowry's Prime Rib, if you've never been there, I've never been there. Uh, I've just heard about it, but I've seen it on TV. But they come around with like a big cart, and they have like prime ribs in the cart, and you can pick your prime rib. Like, I want that one. I want that one. I want well done, medium, whatever. If it's still moving, it's in there. You know, and, they, and they'll give you whatever prime rib you want. My wife loves prime rib. Uh, and so it's like perfect. 20 years, you know, we've never been. It's like a bucket list item. If you go on Yelp today and look up Lowry's Prime Rib, it has $4 signs. I think the highest they go is like $5 signs. Uh, I know because I checked. I went there and looked at it. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's supposed to be an expensive meal, but you know what? It's 20 years. I mean, 20 years. I mean, there's been ups, there's been downs, there's certainly been uh, all the gamut, kids and all these things, and I wouldn't take back a second of any of it. All of it. And I want to show my wife that. And so we're going to go. We're going to commemorate this occasion. I already got my, my, uh, my open table reservation, everything. I mean, it's set to go. And I looked at our anniversary. Hopefully they'll put us by the window or something. Yeah. And we're going to go. And we're going to commemorate 20 years eating prime rib. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's going to be it. Can you imagine if I said honey? I mean, instead of Lowry's prime rib, I, I think we should commemorate this 
this wonderful 20 years of our lives together. And I want to get you your favorite chicken nuggets at McDonald's and your dipping sauce. You love the hot mustard? We'll get you as many hot mustards as you like. Can you imagine if I said that for our 20th anniversary? Honey, I want to spare no expense. They've got two, two 10 packs for like five bucks now. I, I want to get you what your favorite chicken nuggets with hot mustard sauce. I think I'd be sleeping on the couch, maybe even outside the house, right? I mean, I mean, it makes sense when you love someone or something, it makes sense that you would show devotion to them, and it just, it just makes, it comes along part and parcel with love. If you're a young adult, uh, maybe you're a young lady, and you go out with a young man, and, and, and he doesn't pay your way, um, just understand there's something about that, that that's probably not, it's about that that's true about him. You know, that does he value you, that he wants to court you and go, hey, can you take care of the bill? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, there's something about when we love someone or something, part and parcel with that, yes, of course, I would show and lavish my devotion towards that person. I understand. My wife and I have had many humble celebrations over the years, especially when we first got started. And we look back on those situations and actually in high regard remember there was one time we made cookies and we sat on the floor together for valentine's that we had nothing but you know we had enough money to buy a cookie sheet and and you know add water cookie mix right and we had a wonderful valentine's day we've had humble celebrations this is 20 years and of course you want to commemorate that well and here's a lady that comes to jesus and says i want to spare no expense when it comes to my love and devotion for god and the irony in this story is that the disciples are the ones that have a problem with this. Like Jesus' followers, whose whole job is to convince people you should follow Jesus Christ and have worship and, and, and adoration for him and lavish him with praise that he deserves. They have a problem with this. They're the ones who have a, take issue with this. Now, I want to show it to you again. We'll put it back on the screen. Looking at verse 4. There were some who said to themselves, and according to Matthew's account, it's the disciples. According to Luke's account, it's Judas. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why is the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Everybody says, what? That's funny. <laughs> Thank you. What's a denarii? And given to the poor, and they scolded her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. You'll always have the poor, and whenever you want, you can do good to them, but you won't always have me. What she has done is good. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, whenever the gospels proclaim the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. In fact, we are 2,000 years later, and we are still recounting how she did this. The disciples are the one who have an issue with this. And, you know, I, I did this differently on purpose, but the overarching question is, what are some dangers that, that we should be aware of in relationship to our wealth? And the first one is that our hearts can hide behind philanthropic arguments. We can come up with pretty some philosophical notions to getting out of doing what we know is right. And here, the disciples, the symbolic of their misprioritization is the disdain for this act. Why did we let her do that? We could have used that money for something that was more profitable than the worship of God. Why would it, why, why is Jesus okay with it? 
They have a disdain for this. 300 denarii, uh, you ask, what is it? 300 denarii, a denarii is a day's wage. So 300 days of wages, almost a year of salary. You consider that in our day, that would be like, I don't know, depending on what you do, fifty to $75,000 a year, maybe even more if you're in an established career. Now guys, this was not a small gift. It was a large, large gift. And if you want to cross-reference any culture at any part of the world, at any time in the world, a year's wage is a lot. It's a lot. And here she goes out, I want to show you my devotion to you. I want to show you my love to you. It's not because I'm trying to prove anything about this. No, it just comes out of me. I love you. it's It's just there. So I want to show you this. And the disciples are indignant about it. Indignant is a derivative of the word uh, for being angry. It's to express violent displeasure with is the idea. Why are we wasting this money to waste, to, to ruin, to destroy, to annihilate, to render useless? Why are we rendering this? We're just, just ruining this. Why would we ruin this on God? And yet Jesus defends her. I, I, want, I want to make a point here from our text. And that is to say this. No amount of resources that is used in the worship of the Lord is ever wasted. Amen. No amount of resources that is used in the worship of the Lord is ever wasted. It's not a waste to worship God. By the way, if you you don't believe me, you can go to the Old Testament, cross-reference the Old Testament, look at the Old Testament temple, and look how the people sacrificed, giving all the precious metals. Look at how much precious metals was used in the temple of God. How the people loved the fact that that they, they built this building that God would reside in. They gave him the best. They gave him the best. And it was not a waste, even though I guess I suppose they could have sold that and fed the poor. No amount of resources in use for the worship of God is ever wasted. We can sure come up with philanthropic arguments and philosophical notions to get us out of things that we know that we should be doing. First danger is that we can be pretty innovative in our argumentation and resisting what we know is right. Let's look at the second one. What are some dangers that we should be aware of in relationship to our wealth. The second one is that our success can be sovereignly misplaced. Our success can be sovereignly misplaced. If you don't understand what that means, I'll I'll explain it to you. Our success can be sovereignly misplaced. To to be sovereign is to be in control over. We can forget who's in control of everything and and maybe think that we're in control and that our success is a a byproduct of ourselves and our hard work. And I'm self-made and you might be into the glory of God that you are, but still... Our success can be sovereignly misplaced. I want to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I promise you, if you will zone in with me and and key into this, you will go, is that really in the Bible? Holy cow. I mean, it's like that eye-popping. 
All right, we're gonna go to Deuteronomy chapter eight. We'll look at verses 11 through 19. The context is this, Moses is preparing the nation of Israel uh, from going from the desert into the promised land. They've 40 years, God has penalized them, so to speak, tested them in the desert, and now he's gonna take them to the promised land where we had nothing, not even water and food because nothing grows in the desert. We're gonna go to the promised land filled with milk and honey and grapes the size of people's heads. I mean, we're gonna have everything from nothing to everything. And he wants to prepare them for that transition. And how many know that when you do that in life, when you go from here to there, sometimes you can be skewed over here and forgetting where you were back there. I want to show you this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's on the screens for you. We'll start at verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I have commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and, and lived in them, and, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then in your heart you will be lifted up. This is a proudful idea, not a good idea. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and, and terrifying wilderness with all its fiery serpents and scorpions, and the thirsty ground where there was no water and brought you water out of the flinty rock and who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your forefathers did not know that they may be humble, that they might humble you and test you to do what to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me all this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for he is the one who gives you power to make wealth or to get wealth. That, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall be surely, surely you shall perish. Our success can be sovereignly misplaced. There are three little principles that I would love to kind of share with you because of this text. And the first thing is that rich abundance can cause provisional amnesia. Uh, you, you go from uh, having nothing to having a lot, and, and then all of a sudden, provisionally, you go, well, I got myself there. And you forget that God's the one who maybe even gave you the ability to get there. Um, you forget that God's the one who's been given the blessing and you assume that you've received everything you got because you deserve it. I'm a self-made person and you might be and congratulations, but who gave you the ability to be self-made? Why are you the one with these abilities that's really good at turning nothing into something? Who gave you that? Provisional amnesia. Sovereignty is misplaced. We think that we ourselves are the ones and the reasons. And listen, God does make some people more entrepreneurial, and God does make some people more business-minded, but God made that person entrepreneurial and made that person more business-minded. Second principle you can take from this is meager helpings force you to experience God's provision, and it's a test. We saw that in verses 15 and 16. I want to take you back to that. We'll put it on the screen if we can. He's the one who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and, uh, uh, and thirsty ground where there is no water. He brought water out of flinty rock. 
He who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Sometimes God places you in these scenarios, in these situations where you don't have a lot. You're in the desert, so to speak, of life. And in those situations, you learn to trust God, and God does provide for you. And and, and the scripture says that man does not live on bread alone, but by the word of God. And this is proof of it. I'm going to take you into the wilderness, and the only way you're going to make it is if you trust my word that I'll provide for you. It's a test that you can make it through that season. And if you can make it through that season, relying upon the Lord, trusting him, just understand there's other seasons too. But going through this difficult season will prepare you for the other seasons. Going through this hardship, this difficulty, and having to rely on God will make you better in the end. It's the person who has gone and gotten help from the benevolent fund for 10 years and then for the rest of their life has been giving to it. This difficulty and the, the, the grace that God gave me and the ability to, to, uh, to, to make it and God provided for me, now I'm in a different place. I want to give back to that now because I want to be that for someone else. I'll never forget my wife's father for years wasn't able to afford his little girls to go to camp. And so the church would provide for his girls to go to camp. And then all of a sudden he got a career and a job and things changed, turned around, things were looking better. Every year he'd go to a youth pastor, I want to send five kids to camp. Why? Because there was a day where I couldn't send my own girl to camp and now I'm sending five others. Somebody paid my girl's way, I'm going to pay somebody else's. There is something about that testing ground about how God shows you, proves to you that he'll provide for you that makes you better over here. Why do I spend so much time on that? Because some of you are here right now. I mean, I can't handle this. It's too much to carry. I can't. Just trust the Lord. Stay there in the desert. Watch him provide for you. And don't forget that notion when you get into another season and it's time for you to give back and be generous. It'll come. It'll come. Those of us who've been in the faith for a long time have seen it. Hopefully we're jumping on board to be a part of it. By my word did manna come in the morning. By my word did water come out of the rock in the desert. Man shall not live by bread. Well, no, but by my word, I will provide for you. Provision came by the word of God. I promise you'll get it. You do get it. You need to trust my word than your own sustenance because I'm the one who provides. Meager helpings can force you to experience God's provision, and it's a test, and it makes you better for the future. Lastly, misplaced credit can lead to false gods or false idols. Look at 17 and 19 again. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. I'm the one who did it. I'm not going to give anything to God. I did this. It was my hard work. I went to school. I'm the one who did sleepless nights and worked three jobs. And You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods like the God of money, like the God of self, I did it, I can do it, like these idols in our lives and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Our success can be sovereignly misplaced. Sovereignly misplaced. Is that really in the word of God? He says, you guys are over here, humble, humble, humble. I'm taking you over there. There's going to be, it's a promised land, fill of milk and honey. I don't want you to forget what you learned over here. I don't want you to forget that. Because somewhere along the way as you travel, you can start saying to yourself, look what I did for myself. 
and you forget that God's the one who took you out of slavery. He's the one who provided you in the wilderness, and he's the one who provided the promised land. You think, man, I did pretty good for myself. Success can be sovereignly misplaced. There is only one sovereign one, and he doesn't share his glory with anyone. There is only room for one person on the throne, and he ain't moving from his rightful spot. He's sovereign. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who's author of life, beginning, middle, and end. He's the one overseeing all of it. Even evil, if you want to get theologically deeper in this, even evil cannot thwart his sovereignty. He's still in control. He allows evil, works around it, master plans, in accordance with his glory, even though there's evil. He is the sovereign one. He's the one who's given your ability, your education, whatever it is that got you there. He gave you that. And somewhere along the way, if we're not careful, we can misplace sovereignly what's going on. And we start thinking that we do it. Man, they should write a documentary about me. I'm like a self-made dude. No, it's by the grace of God that any of us has whatever we have. And we must remember that. Well, we have one more one that we're going to go over really quickly. Another danger we need to look at. And that is, what are some dangers that are, we should be aware of in relation to our wealth? The fruit, our fruit, can suffer at the hands of wealth's deceitfulness. Our fruit can suffer at the hands of wealth's deceitfulness if we're going to have any fruit in this life, you've got to understand, it can suffer at the hands of wealth's deceitfulness. Let's, let, let's, um, I'm going to assume that everybody here knows uh, a famous story that Jesus talked about. It's called the parable of the sower. It's about this farmer who goes out with seed in his hand, and he starts throwing it all over the place. And that seed falls on like four different places. He describes it in detail. Uh, this parable is so confusing the disciples that they don't know what to do with it, so much so that Jesus goes back and he explains it in detail. One seed falls on hard ground, one seed falls on, in the midst of thorns and rocks, one seed hits the ground and the birds take it away, and then one seed falls on good ground. The seed represents the gospel, the, the, the word of God that falls on the ground. The, the ground represents us. And believe it or not, three of those four seeds don't make it. Three of those four grounds don't, aren't conducive for this plant to, to grow and multiply. But one does. And I want to focus in on one particular ground where the seed does not make it. And it'll be on the screen. It comes out of Mark chapter 4. We'll look at verses 18 and 20 real quick. We'll put it on the screen real quick. It says this. And the others are sown among the thorns. So he's throwing the seeds among the thorns. And they are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of what? Deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke it out, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones that hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, sometimes 30-fold, 60-fold, or even 100-fold. What are some dangers we should be aware of in relationship to our wealth? Our fruit can suffer at the hands of wealth's deceitfulness. The cares of this world can, can distract us. The deceitfulness of riches. You'll be really happy when you spend your money this way, when you do this this way. The desires for other things, materialism, that's what's going to make you happy. That can choke out the word of God and your ground can become unfruitful so that there's no fruitfulness to your faith. 
this concept of the need for more and the concept of the need for money and, and what's going to make me happy. And all it does is stifle me to the place where I'm not fruitful. It's the seed of riches that can cause me and render me useless if we're not careful. You see, our wealth or our desire for a more increasing wealth can be a, provide a magnetic draw towards a counterfeit purpose. You see, here, here's how it works in our worldview. If you're not a Christian here, I'm going to be very honest with you. We're, we're speaking from a Christian worldview, the God of the Bible and the worldview of the Bible. And that is this, that God is a generous God. God said, you know what? I'm going to create this earth for human beings to enjoy and have fellowship with me. We make a mistake, we sin, and God says, oh, I can send them all to hell or I can do something about it. I know what I'll do. I'll take my son and generously sacrifice him so that I don't have to lose the world to this problem of sin. Those who believe in my son will, will become my followers, become my children, and I will redeem them. I will purchase them back. That's a very generous God who does that. He didn't have to do that. He would have been 100% righteous and let all of humanity go to hell. He would have still remained righteous, like legally righteous, but he didn't do that. He was generous. And then in the process, as we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are now to mimic this God. We're to look like a reflection in the mirror of this God. We are to be generous as well. And as we are generous, we look like a God who's richly generous himself. But sometimes our wealth can get in the way. You see, wealth can often make us miss the mark. That's our big idea today. Uh, wealth can often make us miss the mark. It, it can have us miss the mark. Uh, I think this is going to bring me joy. I think this is going to bring me happiness. If I just have one more time share, if I just get that one vacation in over here. And by the way, I like vacationing. I'm not stopping vacationing. I'm not saying to do it. I'm just saying, this is where everybody tells you, this commercial says this will make me happy. That commercial says that. I can't even watch a YouTube video without a commercial. Somebody telling you how you're going to be happy. Wealth can often make us, help us, lead us to miss the mark. Whether it's our sophisticated philosophical notions of how money should be spent for it to be correct. Whether it's philanthropic causes even that, that tell us that you shouldn't spend money on the worship of God. Whether it's, you know, moving from the desert into the promised land. And forgetting that God was the one who brought us there and thinking to yourself that falsely that I did this on my own. Or whether it's letting the worries of this world choke us out and the priorities of this world choke us out to being able to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. Wealth can oftentimes make us miss the mark. It can have us miss the mark if we're not careful. You know, if I were to ask you a question today on a completely separate note, if I asked you to think back to the most powerful, most meaningful, most impactful experience or moment of the last 12 months for yourself, what would that be? Most impactful, most meaningful, most powerful, most, just the experience, the moment that was just the most meaningful, impactful in the last 12 months. Can you just draw that to your mind right now? What would that be? What would that look like? Can I tell you mine? Now, this has been an interesting 12 months. It's actually been a lot of cool stuff that happened in the last 12 months. Last year, in July, I got a tattoo of my wife. Uh, you guys probably haven't seen her, but she has a matching girly tattoo. I got a, I got a manly one. And um, 
she had thought for 20 years that I would never get a tattoo with her. And I'm like, I'm, I love you more. Let's get a tattoo. And then Tetelestai is, is Christ's last words on the cross, which is, it is finished. All sin is taken care of on the cross. Everybody should say, amen. amen. So it's meaningful in two ways, spiritually meaningful. And then secondly, my wife and I did something together on our 19th anniversary uh, together. And we, you know, I, I, I never once in my life thought I was going to get a tattoo. And I am sitting in a chair and the guy's like, this is, I'm like, whoa, 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 I need to breathe. <laughs> But that was a pretty meaningful event. It was pretty awesome. Um, other things that happened after that, my, my daughter and I went to Seattle. We went on a train ride. Went to go see my sister in Seattle. I never done a train ride all the way to Seattle. It was a blast. We flew home after that. It was awesome. My son, I had a rite of passage with him. It's really two years removed, too late because of COVID and everything. It was supposed to be when he was 13. Now he's 15. Um, Going to be 16. And anyway, so we, we went, uh, we flew to uh, Florida and we took a three-day cruise to the Bahamas. It was kind of his rite of passage of manhood, and we went snorkeling together, and we saw a shark. We saw like a five-foot shark, and he's like praying, you know, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, we're going to die, and he's like, I want the shark to come back. Uh, you know, it was a pretty amazing experience. I mean, you know, we're alive, and I hope I never see another shark again. There was a real-life shark in the water. We were swimming next to it. That, that's what that was, and the Lord Jesus covered me. Um, that happened in the last, you know, uh, 12 months. Uh, our, our denomination called me in May and said, hey, we want to send you fishing in Montana. We want to take some pastors and go together and, and, uh, and Converge is going to pay for it. And so I got to fish on this, like, historic river where the brown trout are 24 inches long. It was awesome. You, I mean, I should show you pictures, but then you guys get jealous. <laughs> we did a family vacation recently. It was so cool. I mean, I'm at the stage where the kids are like getting older and you know, how much more time is there gonna be? And we played family games together and all the kids get it. Are you at the stage here where all the kids like get the strategy and can play and like you lose more than you win now? Um, that was awesome. Little Nevaeh is like winning games and you know, we watched four, three or four family Christian movies, you know, Pure Flix. Those movies are really good. Like I was surprised, and they had a great theme, and the kids were talking about it, watching together. It was awesome. Went rock climbing. We went, uh, the bottom two went on their first roller coaster. Um, we did cosmic bowling together. It was a blast. Earlier this month, we just had a blast together. And yet none of those, those are, really, they were wonderful experiences, but none of those were the most powerful, most impactful, most meaningful time in the last 12 months. You know what it was? Right before we left for that trip, for that vacation, my wife knew that I wasn't preaching. If I'm preaching, then my Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are just kind of, I'm wound up. I'm trying to get everything written down. I'm trying to get my mind, my thoughts. Even sometimes you guys run into me. I'm like, I can't process that right now. <laughs> I'm thinking about the illustration. You know, um, I'm just wound up. And so when that happens, I'm not doing a lot of things around the house or whatnot. But this, this week, you know, it was Fourth of July weekend, and she was like, you're not preaching this weekend. I don't know how many pantry workers and volunteers I'm going to have this week. Would you be willing to come? Uh, we might need some help. And I was like, yeah, I'll come. And I volunteered my son. He's coming with me. And uh, it's amazing. If you've never been to the pantry, you've got to see this thing. It's, it's, like, it's like going to a grocery store. Like, you know, it's not like you get a box of macaroni or something. These guys live with, like, dairy and fruit and vegetables and, 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 and you know, milk and eggs and meat. I mean, they, everything. Some things are prepacked, non-perishables, and then something. We have breads. We have, and so she, she, I go there, and she sticks me on the bread. So you just, you're on the breads. So when somebody comes by, you ask them in English or in Spanish. I can do both. You know, how many people are in your household? And if there's, like, you know, two people in the household, you give them one loaf of bread. If there's, like, six or more people in the household, you can give them as much bread as you want. 
And we had so much bread that week. We just had like an influx of bread. And so I'm like, Mr. Breadman, here, you get a bread, you get a bread, you get a bread, right? And so I'm at, and I'm just enjoying this. It's just a wonderful Friday afternoon. Have you ever had a chance to do this? You got to, with your kids even, right? My son's helping people to their cars and whatnot. And we're just doing this and having a great time. It's just so meaningful. And I'll never forget it happened. It's a couple, a young couple, probably 25 years old, walking through. They're new to the pantry, never been before. Had a baby on her side. Baby had to be one, one and a half. Couldn't even talk yet. They're walking through. And the first stages are produce. Would you like some lettuce? Would you like some tomato? Would you like a plum? Would you like, we got, we got an influx of peaches. What would you like? They're walking through. And they get to the second station, and the pantry volunteer holds up two stalks of celery. She goes, can I get you some celery? And the woman couldn't answer the question. She broke that baby on her side, started weeping. She said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. For celery. Can you remember the last time that a stalk of celery breaks you because you're aware of the goodness of God? I'm sitting there. She's about to come to bread, and she's going to get a whole lot of bread. <laughs> the next to me is Javon, wonderful mother of our church. I love her, big sister type. She's doing desserts. And she leans over to me. And by this time, I'm trying to pick up my tears off the ground. Like, how do I, how do, how do I move forward? How do, how do I encourage her? And Yvonne's been there and done it many times. OG, pantry, extraordinary lady. And she leans into me and she goes, that's worth everything right there. That's why we do it. It's worth the whole month of serving him. And the lady with the two stalks of celery, like I, 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 I like right now I'm speechless. I, I speak for a living. That's what I do. And I had nothing. I don't know what I would have said. I don't know how I would have responded. I don't know how do I encourage her. And the lady with the two stalks of celery says, "Oh, hon, don't cry. It's a blessing from the Lord. Straight to God. Don't cry, hon. It's a blessing from the Lord. We want to bless you." I can tell you is the feeling that you get inside when you're a part of something like that. You can't put a price on it. You can't buy it. You, you can't order it. You, you can't reserve it. It only happens when you make space in your life to be generous. Generous with your time. Generous with your talents. And yes, generous with your treasure. Yes, your treasure. It's the most powerful experience in the last 12 months. Happened like three weeks ago at the pantry. But 
wealth can often make us miss the mark. We think vacations are going to make us happy. And get me, don't get me wrong, I'm going to vacation and continue to vacation. I, I enjoy vacations. But you don't get that feeling at vacation. The next timeshare isn't going to give me that feeling. I can put an addition on my house and it won't get me that feeling. That feeling only comes when you are generous like the Lord your God is generous to you. And when you pay it forward and give to someone else, whether it's supporting, if you support the church, you support the pantry, you made that story happen. I hear that couple, that young couple's been going to our church. I won't tell you who they are, I don't want to point them out. But you keep on coming to this church, and you keep on going to the camp entry, and we will keep on helping you and supporting you, and we will help you raise that child. And one day, you'll go from the desert, and you'll go over here to the promised land, and you'll remember. And then you'll give back accordingly. Because our God's generous to us, and that makes us generous. That's what it's all about. And so we got to put those philosophic notions to the side, the, 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 the philanthropic excuses that we make in our resistance, the, 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 the arguments in our mind that convince ourselves that we are the source of our, of our wealth and, and that we deserve to preside over it. And in the end, just understand if we do that and we give into that, there's no fruit in that. Do you get what I'm saying? The joke is on you. You don't get to enjoy what I just described. It's the highlight of my month. The joke is on you when you give in to your own stingy heart. I, as a pastor, want to spend some time talking about the God in our life that never gets talked about at church. A subject that Christ spoke more about than he did heaven and hell combined concept of what we do with our money. And we're going to spend some time on it. And I challenge you, come back and let the Spirit of God work in your heart and move you. Because I believe God wants to multiply generosity in you 30, 60, 100 fold. And when I stand before the Lord, He's not going to give me credit for the vacation. But He is going to give me credit for that story. That's something we take in eternity with us. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. As we do sometimes around here, would you just allow me to speak some questions to your heart? And really, I'm really hoping that God will be speaking to you. It's between you and the Lord. But just some question prompts. Can I ask you some questions? Are you all in? Are you all in? Could you ever imagine giving Jesus Christ a gift of 300 days of wages? Now, I'm not sure God's calling you to do that, but can I ask you a question? Isn't he worth it? Is he not worth it? How does your love for God flow out of you like you loved your girlfriend, love your fiance, love your spouse? How does it just exude? I don't have to prove anything. This is just there because I love. It's there. It just naturally comes out. What does that look like? Father, I remember 10 and 15 years ago having buddies that we would get together and we were starting our careers and we had all these 
wonderful dreams of how we could give you. We didn't talk about money. We talked about percentages. What percentage are we giving to the Lord? How could you bless us to where we could give more percent? And what if every year we sat back down together around Christmas time and had dessert together and discussed how God was so good and how we were able to give more and be more generous? And what could God do with our little hands and, and our little ability to get what you do? I was a youth pastor. I wasn't making any money. Now, sometimes I wonder, where did that heart go? Do I still have that same heart that loves you more than anything else in this world, that is all in for you and is willing to sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ? Would you help me find that heart? Would you help all of us find that heart that we could do more for your glory? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Very challenging. We're going to move into our time of giving and taking of offering. There's three ways you can give. They'll put that up on the screen. You know, I've always struggled with, with money in the sense of it's become a security or a control factor for me. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. But recently I was with my five-year-old little girl and she does not struggle with that at all. She had $30, and to her it was like winning the lottery. And she has $30, we'll go to Target. AKMCC, I... We had $30, and we go to Target, and she wants this uh, pretend laptop. And we put the laptop on to pay for it, and she takes all the money, all $30. It was like, I don't know, 15 bucks. And puts it on the table for the lady. She was here. I was like, wait, wait, wait. It's too much. And I was really convicted of realizing, I wonder how many times I do that. And how many times I'm like, wait, 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 even in my own life because of security and control. And yet my daughter is just, she doesn't even know denominations. I mean, if she has a 20 and 10 ones, those 10 ones mean more than the $20 bill, right? And so I just thought, my goodness, she knows that her needs are gonna be taken care of by her daddy. And so she just freely gives. And I thought, my goodness, Matthew 6 tells us that just as the Lord takes care of those birds, he's going to take care of us. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for providing for us what is truly yours. And God, I just pray that instead of clenching on or trying to hold on to something that we feel is going to be our security or our control, Lord, that we would release it to you. Lord, so that you can advance your kingdom as you see fit. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See what's coming up at Camp CC. Hey, Camp CC. I'm Megan Terryberry, and I'm a part of our worship ministry here at church. If you are a first, second, or third-time guest, we have some gifts for you, so thank you for hanging out with us. We would love to put a face to the name, so please walk over to the welcome counter in the lobby with a connection card, or if you're online, please go to campcc.net slash next steps. 
Check out what's coming up at Camp CC, August 5th through 8th, middle school summer camp. Enjoy kayaking, snorkeling, swimming, volleyball, basketball, and giant group games on Catalina Island. This will be an amazing experience for you and your friends. There are limited spots available, so go to camcc.net slash Catalina to sign up today. Important dates coming up, so make sure to save the date and also check out upcoming events at camcc.net. August 30th, KMCC Blood Drive. September 4th, Growth Group Signups. October 21st through 23rd, Men's Retreat. To stay in the loop of what's going on at KMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to KMCC.net. Would you please stand with me for the send-off? Thank you, Pastor Dave, for that wonderful message this morning. I know it's one of those that there was a lot of meat there to chew on and something I need to go back to and listen to again. But just when, one thing that really stood out to me was when he said, no amount of resources that is used in the worship of our Lord is ever wasted. I'm going to say that again. No amount of resources that is used in the worship of our Lord is ever wasted. It can mean a life is changed for a day or even for eternity. So make sure that we're out there. We're, we're all in, just like Pastor Dave talked about. Remember, if it is your first, second, or third time here, you can head on out to the welcome counter. We have a gift for you. We want to get to know you. If you're watching online, you can go to camcc.net slash next steps. And if you want to just think about who you could be inviting to church, I encourage you to think about someone you can invite next Sunday. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you in a week.